Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And another spot that um, is on your worship guide that you can go ahead and turn there as well is uh, Luke 21. We're going to look at 12 to 15 there as well. So if you want to have your hand there in both places, that'd be good for us. That way we can turn there quickly. Acts 4, 1 to 22. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, this morning we come before you grateful for the opportunity to sing your praises and to open your word. And Lord, as we study your word, I pray that it would encourage us, that it would embolden us, that we would be able to see clearly uh, the way that you would have us to live, uh, the way that you would have us to interact with Uh, Those around us who, one, don't know the gospel, those who would be uh, antagonistic towards the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would be um, mindful of what closeness to you does for our witness in the world. And so as we struggle through what I believe is coming persecution in the years and decades ahead in this country. I pray that you would give us unwavering faith in the same way that you gave Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So last week, we looked at Acts 3, and we saw Peter and John making their way to the temple They were going there for the late afternoon prayer. Remember I said there was three times a day that people would go and pray. There would be one in the morning, one in the middle of the day, and one in the middle of the afternoon, late afternoon. And as they were on their way there, they were stopped by a lame beggar who was asking for money. And Peter and John, they didn't have any money. uh, But what Peter did have was a moment of divine power that was given to him by Christ which allowed him to say, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then he reaches down, he grabs the man by the hand, helps him up to his feet, and suddenly this man who has been lame from birth, we find out in chapter 4 that this has been over 40 years. So a man who has been lame for over 40 years is suddenly healed through the power of Christ and by faith in His name. Just like that. Well, obviously the man is ecstatic, right? He gets up, jumps around, he's walking, he's leaping into the temple with Peter and John, all while praising God's name. As you can imagine, 
when you see, if nothing else, the commotion, right? It, maybe you didn't see that, that moment of healing, but you see this commotion where you've got some dude jumping into the temple, right? Leaping like a ballerina into the temple. All the commotion draws a crowd, and this crowd, as it gathers, you see Peter taking the opportunity to preach the gospel. And he makes sure that everyone there understands the, the power to heal the man came from Christ. Right? He did not do that. It wasn't their power. It wasn't the apostles' personal godliness that allowed them to have anything to do with this man's healing. Everything came from Jesus. And Peter also makes sure that the crowd understands that they were personally culpable for the death of Jesus even though they acted in ignorance. He says, I know you acted in ignorance just like your leaders did, but that doesn't give you an out. Right? You're still culpable for the death of Christ. You killed the source of life. But he didn't stay dead. God raised Jesus back from the dead, and he says, we, John and I, are witnesses of this resurrection. Now, all this was done so that there would be a perfect sacrifice for sin. The perfect sacrifice for sin gives them and us the opportunity to repent of their sin so that they can turn back to God. And, and that means that their sins would be washed clean. And he offers that opportunity to them at the end of his sermon. All their sins would be wiped out. And that brings us to chapter 4. In chapter 4, we're going to see that this commotion that brought this crowd also brings another crowd. It brings a crowd of religious leaders that are not happy about all that's going on. They're not happy about Peter's message. They're not happy, really, that the man has been healed. But let's take a look at what happens beginning in verses 1 to 4. It says, while they were speaking to the people, they being Peter and John, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So, big commotion. There's a lot of people gathered and the religious leaders are coming up to find out what's going on. And what do they hear? They hear Jesus' followers sharing about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the Sadducees are annoyed by this because the Sadducees don't believe in the supernatural. I don't understand how you have a religious leader that doesn't believe in the supernatural, but they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in life after death. Right? I've heard it said that they're called the Sadducees because they don't believe in any of that stuff, and so they're sad, you see. Right? I mean, it's such a lame joke. So lame. But it is not mine, but I am a dad, so I get to tell that dad joke, right? But here they have 
Peter and John, they're preaching about the resurrection. And it's not just any resurrection. It's the resurrection of their chief troublemaker. Right? They're preaching about the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, whom they thought they had managed to do away with. Right? They thought we are finally done with this man. And yet here are his followers following in his footsteps, doing the very thing that he was doing, causing trouble for us. And so in order to keep this under control, they arrest Peter and John, and because it's late in the day, they decide, we'll just deal with this tomorrow. And you would think that seeing these two men arrested, that that might cause some of the people around them to be hesitant about their message. Right? It might be a deterrent to the message that Peter had just preached, but the opposite is actually true. Many people who heard the message believed. And Luke says that the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now I couldn't see, uh, the language there is a little weird. And some people say that 5,000 more men came to faith. And some people say that it was coming up towards the total number of being 5,000. But either way, there's a lot more people coming to faith just based on this message. Either it was a couple of thousand or many more thousand. But either way, as far back as the church goes, whenever the church has suffered, whenever there has been opposition and oppression, the church has grown. Always. No matter how many times people have tried to stamp out the church, the people of God multiply under oppression. And why is that? The reason is because people know that you actually believe what you say you believe if you're willing to suffer for it. If you're willing to suffer, then it's got to be true. Why would you be willing to suffer for something that you don't believe in? Why would you be willing to suffer for something you know to be false? If you're willing to suffer for it, maybe it's worth suffering for. And so I need to look into that. Right? If you're willing to go to jail for it, maybe I need to look into it. If you're willing to go to the cross for it, then maybe I should look into that. Like, why would you give up your life for this? Why would you give up your stuff for this? Why would you give up everything that the whole world is pursuing after and go the opposite way to go after this man? It must be worth something. And if you're certainly going to do it when everyone else is trying to kill you in the process, it's got to be worth something. If you're willing to die for what you believe, then people take notice. But if you can't even be bothered to be inconvenienced for your faith, right? if you can't be bothered by it, why should I be bothered by it? If you can't be bothered to go to your church service, then why should I go to your church service? If you can't be bothered to live by the holy and righteous God that you claim to love, why should I try to live that way? Like, why should I live that way if you're not willing to suffer for it? 
Apparently you don't believe it either. Peter and John show that they think their faith is worth sharing and they go to jail for sharing it. And because of their message and because of their commitment to it, people came to faith. They shared the message. They went to jail for sharing the message. And because of this, people are coming to faith. They hear the message. They see the miracle. And they see something in it that is worth being devoted to. Let's continue. Verses 5 to 12. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is, still, is standing here before you healthy. This, Jesus, is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And I want you to consider this. The scene that Luke has set before us in these verses is exactly what Peter feared when Jesus was arrested, beaten, and killed. All right, think back. I mean, it's been several, probably several months ago now at this point. But think back when we were going through Matthew's gospel. Think back to the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Peter followed the group to Caiaphas' house. He leaves when they come and get him. But then some of that bravery comes back. He joins them again, goes to the high priestly courthouse. Okay? And he sits in the courtyard. And while he's there in the courtyard waiting to see what's going to happen to Jesus, he's approached three times about being with Jesus and three times Peter denied even knowing Jesus. The third time that he denied it, he pronounced curses on himself. I don't know the man. Why? Because he did not want to be standing beside Jesus in front of these people. He did not want to face these people. The thought of it terrified him so much that he forgot all that tough talk about how he would, if everybody else denied him and ran away, he would be willing to die with him. He forgets all of that and he denies Jesus. He forgets it all. And now here we are maybe a hundred days later. Right, a hundred days later, and Peter and John stand before the rulers, the elders, the scribes, along with uh, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. This is what made Peter shake with fear before the resurrection, before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now look at him. Now look at him. 
The question comes, by what power or in what name have you done this? That question should sound really familiar to those of us who are paying attention as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew. This is the same question that they often ask Jesus. Right? By whose authority do you do the things that you do? Right? Who gives you the authority to do this? In the right context, this is a legitimate question. Right? I mean, in most situations, you can't just go around doing whatever you want. Right? We live in a society of order, and so did they. You can't just go around doing whatever you want to do, whenever you do it, however you want to do it. So the question is, who told you you could do that is a legitimate question under the right circumstances. But in the case of these men, this question denotes their insecurity. They are insecure about their power. They are insecure about their place among the Jewish people. They're thinking, oh no, here we go again. Right? I thought we killed the guy that was doing all this stuff before. And here we go again. A miracle just happened. The people have seen it. The people under our control have taken notice of it. And maybe, just maybe, they're going to notice that we can't do stuff like that. Right? Like, have you ever healed a man that was lame for 40 years? No, I haven't. Have you? No, I certainly haven't. Well, how is that guy doing it? Well, let's ask him. By whose authority are you doing that? So Peter and John are posing a threat to their authority. And anytime someone comes along and poses a threat to their authority, they ask this question. And those who are insecure about their authority are often very dangerous people. I mean, look at what they did to Jesus. Because they were insecure about their authority. So Peter and John are in a dangerous spot. All right? They're in a dangerous place. They're facing down the religious authority in Jerusalem who are probably still not happy about all the disruption that Jesus had caused all that he had done, and here they are in the exact same situation that Jesus had put them in, literally the exact same spot. And what does Peter do when he's in this situation that had caused so much fear before? Does he cower? Right? Does he concede any ground at all? Not even a little. Not even a little bit. We see two awesome things right here. All right, number one, we see Peter, we see the difference in Peter. All right, we get to see the different side of Peter that comes from the reality of the resurrection and the indwelling of the Spirit. I know I've said this a lot, but I really, really like this. I like the change that we see in Peter. I, I want to see the difference in myself. I want to see the difference in you based on the reality of the resurrection and based on the reality of the indwelling spirit in your life. Like I want to see us moving towards Christ and godliness. And that's what we see in Peter right here. That's what we've been seeing in Peter throughout the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts. Like Peter is no longer afraid of what these men could possibly do to him. Like there's no fear. 
What can they do to him? Peter has seen and realized that everything in the Scriptures are true. Everything in the Scriptures are true. Every promise that God has ever made has come true in the Scriptures so far. Everything that Jesus has said is true. So what is there to fear? The resurrection of Christ has proven that both pain and death are temporary for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And I assure you, like I don't say that flippantly. Like I know, I know that there are some people in this room, I know there's a lot of people in this world, there may even be some people in this room who have suffered great loss and have experienced much death in their life. Right? Like, I'm not walking into that statement doe-eyed. I have experienced a good deal of that myself. I don't say it lightly. That comes from a life that has had both physical aches and pains and emotional aches and pains that will probably never go away completely this side of heaven. But the reality is, Pain and death are temporary for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And Peter has shown that he sees the world differently now. And I love to see that change in him. I mean, it gives me so much hope for me and how I'm going to see the world differently. How much differently I see it now versus how much I saw it 20 years ago. And hopefully how much differently I see it in 20 years. And then the second awesome thing we see about this is we get to see yet another picture of God keeping His promises. Verse 8 might be a little confusing to some when it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit because, I mean, unless I'm confused, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Right? Y'all remember reading that with me? In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell. All the, all the believers in the house were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So according to that, the Holy Spirit dwells within Peter. And it's true that the Holy Spirit dwells in every follower of Christ from that moment forward forever. So why would Luke say that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit again? I mean, it, it can be confusing well, the answer comes from a promise that Jesus made to the disciples back in Luke 21, verses 12 to 15. So I hope you had your finger there. I asked you to turn there. We're going to take a look at it. Luke 21, 12 to 15 says this, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Here, in Luke 21, Jesus is talking about the signs of the ends of the age. And he promises that there is going to be persecution for the church before everything is wrapped up here on earth and before all things are made new, the church will be persecuted. 
And when that persecution comes, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to say before your persecutors because the Holy Spirit is going to take care of that for you. So we should be aware that as a Christian, if you are living your life for Christ, you're going to be persecuted. In some way, you will be persecuted. That persecution is an opportunity for Christians to bear witness about the kingdom of God. But knowing this, you shouldn't be going into the bathroom and practicing your speech about how you'll say this before the governors and how you'll say this before the kings as you face this persecution because the Holy Spirit's got it covered. Right? And this is what happens to Peter. Right? He wasn't sitting around thinking, well, if he says this, then I'll say this, and then he'll, he'll say this, and then I'll say this. The Holy Spirit gives him a special anointing in this moment, and Peter boldly declares that the man was healed, and the healing came at the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And just in case you boys don't remember who Jesus is, Peter clarified that Jesus is the one that you crucified and the one that God raised from the dead for all of you boys that don't believe in the resurrection. After that, he quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22, to let them know that Jesus of Nazareth was the cornerstone that the psalmist was referring to in the psalm and they were the builders that rejected him. God knew you were going to do this long before you were ever born. Jesus is the foundation of everything that they claim to hold so dear and they have rejected that foundation. And then he lets them know that it's only by the name of Jesus that anyone can be saved. And that includes you. Man, what boldness. Right? Lord, give us all such boldness. To speak the gospel with such clarity and a lack of fear. Well, we're not the only ones that recognized Peter and John's boldness. The religious leaders see it as well. That and more. Continuing on, verses 13 to 22. It says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John... They realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this doesn't spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done for this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old so Peter and John have really impressed the religious leaders uh, so much that it's bound them up they, they don't know what to do in this situation 
They have uneducated and untrained men that have spoken with defiance. They have spoken with authority before the supreme powers of the land. And they didn't know what to do with that. They said it's obvious that these people have been with Jesus. Along with that, there is an undeniable healing that has taken place and they have nothing to say against it. That man has been lame for over 40 years and everyone knows it. I mean, how many times have we passed him on the way in and out at the beautiful gate, in and out of the temple, day in and day out for 40 years? So you can't do this whole thing where they pay people off, you know, like they did and say, the disciples stole the body, right? Like, can't do that this time, right? We, there he is. That's not going to work. Um, and honestly, as far as with doing that with the resurrection, I honestly don't understand how it works to cover that up with the resurrection either. You know, you got the disciples saying, Jesus is risen from the dead. And they're going, no, he's not. The disciples stole the body. And you're going, but he's right there. No, no, he's not. That's not him. No, he's he's right. He, well, he was right there, but he went up there. That's, that wasn't Jesus. Like, I don't understand how that goes in their mind. But anyway, they tried it. But there's no doing that with this. Like the dude is dancing in the temple with his new legs. Anyway, the Sanhedrin needs a moment to confer. They got to talk through this. What do we do? I don't know what to do with this. You don't know what to do with this. So they send Peter and John out to discuss what should happen. And they don't want the message to spread, but they can't really threaten them either. Right? They've, they, they can threaten, but they can't do anything about it. That's what they do. They threaten... They said, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And the problem with this rationale that comes from the religious leaders has already been discussed. Like, if you hold up pain, like, what are you going to do? Don't do it. Or what? What are you going to do? We'll, we'll put you in jail. Okay. Like, we see this later in the Apostle Paul. I'll convert all your jailers. And every inmate you have in here. Well, we'll torture you. Pain is temporary. We'll kill you. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What else you got? So, I mean, you've got nothing to threaten me with. Do not teach or bad things will happen to you. I'm not afraid of you. We see in verses 19 and 20 that their threats hold no weight. And... I love the Christian Standard Bible, but I really liked uh, the New Living Translation's way of saying it. It says, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Hmm, that's good. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. So no matter what the religious leaders want them to do, they're not going to stop telling people about Jesus they're not going to stop telling people about how they can have their sins washed away. They're not going to stop telling people about the kingdom of God. <laughs> the council threatened them further. <laughs> Ooh. 
It wasn't scary the first time you said it. Like, if Peter was afraid of you, he wouldn't have said it the first time. And then here you go, you threaten again. You've got nothing. They're not going to stop threatening. They don't, they've got nothing in their arsenal right now. They didn't want a riot to start, it says, because they had the favor of the people. They're back in the same position that they were in with Jesus back before the shouts of Hosanna turned in to crucify him, right? When the, the power is in the people's hands, right? They saw the miracle. They heard the proclamation of it being God that did it. And so if your religious leaders start attacking the people that proclaim that God is the one that did the miracle, then what's going on with your religious leaders? So they cannot do anything about this in this moment. They're not stupid. They know how the system works. And they're playing a political game right now. So for the moment, the apostles are in a sweet spot that Jesus was in when he had the favor of the people. And they're gonna, the religious leaders are going to stay in power. And to do that, they want to stay in power. To do that, they have to play the game. So they let the men go. And this, but this isn't always going to be the case. It's not going to be much longer in the book of Acts that we're going to see persecution come hard for the church. We're going to see persecution come. It's going to scatter the church. But what does that do? It does nothing but spread the seed of the gospel to, what was it? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? Like they go to smash it and all it does is create a ripple effect that sends it out everywhere that Jesus said it was going to go. It cannot be stopped. You're not going to stop the word of God, the kingdom of God from going everywhere that Jesus declared it should go. The apostles would not stop because of persecution and it should not stop us either. And so with that, I have two application questions that I want you to ponder today and this week as you leave this place. Based on what we see here in our passage, would you consider yourself bold in Christ? Would you consider yourself bold in Christ? If not, what is holding you back? Like at one point in time, Peter was afraid. Like that was legitimate earthly fear. Like he was afraid he was going to die. And there are certain earthly fears that are legitimate earthly fears that each one of us face. If I proclaim this at work, I could be in danger of losing my job. If I proclaim this in my family, I could be in danger of being ostracized by my family. If I proclaim this you know, elsewhere, there's, there's minefields that we have to maneuver through. And I get that. But when we look at Peter and the change in Peter from pre-resurrection to post-resurrection, we see a significant change in his boldness. And the only change is his understanding of the resurrection and the truthfulness of it. And the realities that that, br- like, if the resurrection is true, it's all true. 
And I can cling to all those promises. Every promise that God made, if He made them and brought them true in the resurrection, then He's going to bring them all true. And I can cling to those things. And as a follower of Christ, I have the Holy Spirit residing in me. All the time. And in moments like what Peter had to deal with in front of the Sanhedrin, you know, we can get those moments where we're anointed by the Holy Spirit and we might have these things where we kind of start talking and we don't even know where that stuff came from. Where the Holy Spirit sort of speaks for us. And so what do we have to be afraid of? Why should we not be bold in Christ? If you're not bold, what is holding you back? And if you're struggling with that, consider the resurrection. Think about that. Pray about that. Number two, if someone spent time with you, would they come to the conclusion that you had been with Jesus? I loved what they said about these two men. They were uneducated. They were untrained. But they had been with Jesus. And that's kind of like when I when I thought through that, I was like, would people make that same claim about me? Right. Would people know just from being in my presence that I had spent time with Jesus? And what would that look like? It would look like me proclaiming the gospel. It would look like me being bold in my witness. And then there are other things as we have more opportunities. I mean, this was just what they saw, but it would be in my acts of service to people. It would be in how I live sacrificially for others. But most of this is going to be in our willingness to proclaim the gospel. Like, I don't know who originally said that whole thing about, like, always preach the gospel and when necessary use words. Like, that's the most ridiculous coffee cup nonsense that the gospel requires words. Some of the nicest people that I have ever met don't believe in the gospel. They will outserve you any day of the week. And they don't believe that Jesus is God. So for us to show people that we have been in the presence of Christ, we have to tell them about Christ. Like how are they going to know that we love Jesus if we never talk about Jesus? If someone were to spend time with you, would they know that you had been in the presence of Jesus? How are you doing in your boldness? And would people know that you have been in the presence of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I love you. I love the fact that you have changed me through the work of Christ on the cross, through the reality of the resurrection, through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want more. I want 
more boldness. I want more people to be in my presence and see the reality that I've been in your presence. And I want that for everyone in this church. I want when these doors open and the people of Oak Grove go into this community and they go off to their jobs, I want there to be a force for the kingdom that goes out from this place and the gates of hell shudder as we rattle them going for people for the kingdom. Lord, help us to have the boldness of Peter and John. Help us to realize that pain is temporary and death is nothing to be afraid of in the kingdom. Lord, help us to see like they did the hurt in the world too. They saw a man who was lame from birth and they didn't just walk by, they did what they could. And you empowered them to do more than they were even able to do on their own. But that's not going to happen to each and every one of us, Lord. But we can still serve that man. We can still love that man. And you have sovereignly placed people in our life so that we can do that each and every day. And I pray that we would have our eyes opened to those realities and that we would walk in that on a daily basis. Lord, I love you. I ask all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.